Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Um, there's already an intro to this video, so I'll keep this short and fucking sweet. But I made this video a while ago, and I've been trying to fucking finish it. And trying to, um, trying to do like this intellectual way of initiation into magic. If you want to do any kind of witchcraft or occult shit, if you say people that are against that shit, well, there's a lot of wisdom in this video. No, Peterson, just a question for you. It'll give you a good foothold into an initiation. And that's the thing about initiation. What happens, happens. So, like, if you start the initiation process, the steps will be taken. So you can follow a book, you can follow guidelines, you can follow programs that people will teach you and take you on the initiation path that they do. Here's the thing. Most people, when they do initiation, shit happens to them while they do it. So then they teach their way. But every individual initiation, obviously, there's certain steps that are, let's say, universal. There are certain things you're going to have to go through to be awakened and do this path that we call whatever, connecting to your subconscious, let's say, so that you can affect your reality. That's what I'm trying to teach, okay? Um, and to do that, you know, we have a full moon tonight in Cancer, by the way, which is pretty sick. But, um, in case it's a water sign, you know, full moon. See, like, I'm one of those lucky people that have this medieval Gemini, meaning Gemini is the twin. It's your your minds, let's say. Uh, Gemini is the one that you, which is your conscious mind. Meaning I got my conscious mind in my subconscious. So I have an easy time connecting to my subconscious. It's probably why I can manifest things better than most. But everybody has this ability, and everybody can do it, but everybody has different keys to unlock it. Meaning, you start any initiation period time for yourself, then if you are set, if you set the goal that you want to be initiated into the magical arts, into the occult, into this, unlocking your way to the divine and being able to access that God part of you. It was funny, today we are on the roof, Everybody was scared because we're working on a roof in snow. Like we got a bunch of snow here in my town. Um, I was working on a fucking roof that's at least, I don't know, four stories high. And there's snow. And I'm not even tied off walking around like it's nothing. Two other guys are shitting bricks. One guy wouldn't even come up there. The other guy was like, you know, having a hard time. And I'm walking around like it's nothing. I'm like, what the fuck? It's like, well, and I, I made a joke, but I'm like, well, when you know you're both God and the devil, then you can't die because you can't go to heaven or hell. Therefore... You're a mortal motherfucker. It's a joke, but you know there's some truth to that shit. But anyways, I want to go into that today. I'll make that. An, I'll make another video about that, just so everybody knows it. You know, people always have that, like, well, God doesn't want me, the devil doesn't want me. It's more like you're both motherfucker, and that's why you're never gonna die because you have to suffer on this planet. But anyways, I'll make a whole video about that later on. The point is, um, 
lot of time about how I'm lucky because I have my subconscious. Uh, I have my moon in Gemini, and I also have Venus in there. My artistic shit comes out by using my subconscious. One way to do it, one way to say it. Any sport I ever play, when I'm in the zone, whenever I just go on instinct or on whatever you want to call it, intuition, I've always played better. And it's because my artistic side, my sports side, whatever you want to call it, comes out when I'm in there. That's a little bit of astrology shit for those who uh, want that kind of knowledge. But point is, this video was supposed to be about, I was going to break down every question, how it's an intellectual way of a person who wants to get initiated into becoming awakened, who's scared of words like occult and magic and shit like that, and so the devil. I was trying to make a video friendly for a way to decipher this shit. Now, I never got to finish. I think there's like, I don't know, six or seven questions at the end that I never finished. But because I'm so behind on making videos and I haven't made a video in so fucking long and I just gotta get this video out there and if I can eventually one day finish it I'll be happy but it doesn't look like that's gonna happen so you're gonna get at least I mean I, I have quite a bit of clips where I think I, I, I if there's six or seven questions at the end that I never came in and chimed in then there's at least six to eight questions at the beginning that I did chime in on and give good advice on how this is like whatever it's equivalent to what we do but if you want a different perspective of it that isn't occult magic illuminati scary fucking devil shit if you're some kind of person who's worried about that shit which is fine i get it i understand it i'm just trying to do something like that but anyways that's what this video is but i'm sorry i didn't get a chance to finish it so whenever you stop hearing me chime in it's basically first time when someone has a question and then peterson finishes the whole question with them and I don't chime in and the next question comes up. That's basically what I'm done chiming in most likely. So anyways, I hope you enjoy this film. You're gonna hear another intro again and a bunch of bullshit like I always do. But I really hope you enjoy. I thank everybody for having this 101 subscribers that I have. I love every single fucking one of you for doing that. Um, all of you are getting something good tonight when I fucking do my candle for the full moon at 11.58 p.m. for me anyways here. You should do the same for yourself. I don't know when this video is gonna be released, but if it gets released, Enjoy it, do the full moon ritual, banish something. Actually, no, no, banish something. Um, ask for something becomes whatever you want. But do it smart. Do it anyways. If you've been watching me for a while, you just want to know what you should do. And if not, watch some Freighter, watch some Birch, um, watch some of the other people I, book, I told you to watch, read some of the books I told you to read, and you'll be able to figure out what to do for this full moon. But anyways, hope you have a great fucking night. Everybody be safe. And yeah, have yourself a great fucking day. Alright, what's going on everybody? I'm in another fucking vehicle. Well, I think I already told you the story. I got a new work vehicle for a different employer. Um, but yeah, welcome to Ceremonial Witchcraft. You know what we do here. Um, today, holy fuck, a duck, man. This girl's half naked outside on a cold day. Because she's got fuck on in the gym though, but still. That's gonna be hard to fucking concentrate. I'm waiting for my wife too, so it's terrible. But Jesus, girl's got fucking nothing on. A nice bum. Anyways, enough of that crap. I'm faithful. So, anyways, um, where the fuck was I? What's going on, everybody? I am the ceremonial witch or Corey LeBlanc, whichever one you want to call me. Um, it was funny yesterday. I was. Yesterday, what was I doing? Oh yeah, I was watching my old videos um, for Magic Eyes Only, where I took an instant scratcher ticket. Initially, I did a I did a candle for a ticket, and I told you I won, and I showed you the winnings. 
one of the first videos and then the last videos the one of the last videos there's a bunch in that playlist that shouldn't even be in that playlist either by the way but there's two um the best way i can prove magic works and the best way i can prove magic works part two part two is before part one unfortunately i gotta switch those around but um in those videos you see um you see me give you the barcode and i tell you that i'm gonna do a candle for it and then the next time i come on like the second ones before the first one but anyways the the part one has like a lot of views to it but the part two where i actually show the winnings does not um anyway so i was watching that and i was just thinking about how i never do a candle in a while but i've been doing solid money magic and for things to continuously increase non-stop um since forever um almost every thursday friday and just looking at everything that's been going um when you stand back and you look at what's how your life's been going you can actually see the the incremental improvements and they're not so incremental but there's definitely lots of improvement um and you know that's not what i want to talk about today i'm going to talk about something completely different than money magic and all that but you know i just wanted to take a moment to stop and just point out you know like at my last job I was doing money magics and money magics and money magics and trying to make more money and all that and I kept getting raises kept getting different opportunities I got to stop driving so money magic isn't always just me making more money an hour or finding a pile of money sometimes it comes in the way of well I didn't have to drive anymore or pay for gas anymore at that last job and now I'm actually working in town I have my own company vehicle um, I've already gotten two raises and I've only been working five weeks so I'm basically making what I was making in Ottawa and uh, now having to go to Ottawa and a bunch of bank hours needless to say everything's been going fucking absolutely amazing and the job I'm doing now is I'm learning so much because we do a little bit of everything and I wouldn't say I'm running a crew but I'm basically responsible for a lot of shit which is the reason for the second raise and you know i gotta say it's been fucking it's been absolutely amazing which is one of the reasons why i'm having a hard time uh, making videos lately because i'm continuously busy working and doing shit but needless to say i mean it's even my podcast has been booming too just to throw that out there I'm making steady money on that bitch every fucking month i mean at any given time right now there's like a hundred dollars in what I've made from ad revenue just chilling in there and it gets dispensed every three months and I just got paid so for there to still be a hundred dollars in there means I had 140 American which ended up being like 170 Canadian but and this is not just me bragging this is just me trying to say that the money magic things I teach on the magic eyes only and the simple little candle stuff I tell people to do write statements on there turn into sigils and all that put it there set it and forget it all those rules they fucking work if you stick to it and you keep doing it every fucking day in and day out. Now, do you need to follow a system like I do? Um, Cabal and the Great Work Self-Transformation and, you know, Frederick Xavier stuff that goes along with that book as like an add-on. Do you need to do that to perform magic? Hell no. Can you? Yeah, it's going to work well too because everybody who does it puts their belief in it. But you don't need to do that. And I'm going to show you the intellectual, psychology, psychological ways of interpreting a magical system on your own meaning my man mr peterson there's a q a from you're going to see clips from it and basically after i think the first two questions first two or three questions all the following questions after that he's basically teaching you how to do initiation into magic or 
into being able to take control of your mind and help manifest things and take control of your life and do a transformation process all in just answering questions from the fucking audience and maybe I'm grasping at straws maybe I'm stretching some shit out a little bit who the fuck knows but I'll let you be the fucking judge of that so without further ado let's run the beginning song my fucking intro and then I'll get into the first fucking few questions and start uh, dissecting it here we go temper is one of them, but um, I'm muddling through. All right, I'm almost a little hesitant to ask you a question now, uh, but um, so uh, one thing I was wondering about was a lot of people, I think, would argue that um, kind of the values of Western civilization, uh, free speech, the right of the individual, uh, separation between church and state, um, have developed through not so much uh, in continuous with uh, the Judeo-Christian morality, but almost in their overthrow through such things as the Enlightenment, the Scientific mm -hmm. Revolution, mm -hmm. and um, how these values uh, would never have come out of just simply uh, the, the, the continuous of the Middle Ages and that Judeo-Christian morality. But uh, my understanding of your view would be that... Um, those values are inherent in the Judeo-Christian morality. And I'm just mm -hmm. wondering how you think, uh, yeah, just what is the value yeah, of Judeo-Christian morality in the modern world? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, they're not rational values. They're deeper than rational values. I mean, it was a surprise to me going back into the past, let's say, to see how deep these values were. But I would say that not only are they part of the Judeo-Christian story, let's say, but that they're grounded in phenomena that are even deeper than that. Now, there's been a fair bit of investigation into the emergence of fair play, let's say, among animals, rats, primates, wolves, and so forth. There's an ethos that emerges behaviorally and, and is then perhaps woven into narrative and then codified that seems to be isomorphic across these different levels. And I think it's been well articulated in the narrative sense in the Judeo-Christian corpus of stories and that it's out of that that our legal systems and, and institutions of rights have emerged. People make the case that that was fundamentally an enlightenment issue and it was certainly the case that the rational clarity that came along with the Enlightenment increased the degree to which that was articulated and transformed into law, but I think to attribute it to that is a great mistake. 
I think it's, uh, I think the time span view is way too narrow. That's 500 years ago. I, I'm a biologically minded guy. It's like 500 years, that's nothing. 5,000 years, well, that's starting to register. 50,000 years, it's worthy of note. Six million years, now you're getting somewhere. There's The ethic that we're discussing is way deeper than something conjured up in like 1500 by some northern Italians. So it's an articulation of a substructure that's much deeper than the articulation itself. That's what it looks like to me. Now I think there's room for intelligent debate about that. But I've looked at the Enlightenment thinkers and at the deeper, at, at people who I regard as deeper. And I think the deeper guys, Nietzsche, Dostoevsky, Jung in particular, Solzhenitsyn to some degree, they've got it right. So I don't think it's, I don't think that our rights are an Enlightenment project. Their instantiation into codified law, that's more part and parcel of the Enlightenment. That, that would be particularly manifest in a place like the United States. No, so. Yeah, if I can just ask kind of a related question. You mentioned Nietzsche, and because uh, from what I understand of your work, you seem to draw from him a lot, and again, you said you agree with him. So well, I guess, you know, well, he, he thinks a lot of things. Yeah, so I guess I, I'm wondering where you think, because I mean, I imagine, you, imagine he went wrong uh, in his interpretation of the Christian morality and how he believes, um, and how he believes that's kind of a pernicious slave-based morality. So what do you, what exactly do you think, because uh, you agree with a lot well, of other things Well, he didn't really critique Christian morality. He create, critique Christian dogma and, and structures. That's not exactly the same thing. So you would agree with him then? Or? Well, like I said, he's a complicated guy. But I think the slave morality idea, the idea that the oppressed are somehow um, virtuous, which I don't think is a central Christian idea, by the way, it was something that he criticized as part and parcel of what was constructed and 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 concretized in 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 institutional Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Christianity. And Nietzsche also, and this is a deeper critique, I think. Nietzsche really criticized institutional Christianity, particularly the Protestant and Catholic forms, I would say, for insufficient attention paid to the imitation of Christ and too much attention paid to the idea that the work of redemption had already been done, which is something that also divides the Orthodox Christian types from the Protestants and the Catholics, because the Orthodox types tend to tilt more towards the moral demand that you imitate Christ in your own life. And so Nietzsche is a very, 
you, you can't sum him up very easily. And I found him extraordinarily useful in training me how to think, to say, to say that you agree with him. I don't think that you can say with someone like Nietzsche that you agree with him. Because, you know, Nietzsche had, this is one thing that Nietzsche said that I really got a kick out of, because it the, it's the most, most arrogant statement I've ever heard anyone make. He said, I can write in a sentence what it takes other people a book to relate. And then he said, no, what other people can't even relate in a book. And that's exactly right. Like if you read Beyond Good and Evil, for example, which is mostly aphorism, All right, what's going on, everybody? Long time no talk. Um, I'm going to continue going along what I was already previously talking about here. Just having a bunch of problems with this fucking phone. And or just, fuck, problem city. But my job here is not to tell you about my problems and try to talk about it. My job here is to fucking explain some shit that will be beneficial to your spiritual growth. Um, both theory and actual practice. Which I may not always do properly, but you know, is what it is. So, the beginning of this before this is probably two weeks ago. I probably I, I did the beginning of this and just never had the time to finish it. In the last two days in a row, I've been sick from work. Um, developed a little bit of strep throat, some swollen glands. Need some moxicillin. I'm better now, um, but um, I think it's 48 hours, 24 hours that you're contagious. So I couldn't go into work again today. But I figured, fuck, if I'm going to be at home. And I'm feeling better, not 100%, but I'm feeling better. And I might as well make a fucking video. So I already have one mostly constructed, most of the shit uh, recorded, just not my point of view. So I have all the stuff from Peterson, all the questions that I'm going to explain to you how this is an, an, an intellectual sound initiation, even from uh, almost like a testimonial example within this one. Um, of a guy who basically says that, you know, he was watching his shit and then he had this, uh, this incredible feeling within him and this understanding that came along with it. But And then Peterson uh, describes it as um, um, continuous uh, births and redeaths. And, you know, you're being trying to, trying to bring in coordination, what you think, how you act, and what you believe or something to that effect all in one and I believe that's important and I think that's concepts of like the Holy Trinity on top of it like like and I'm not trying to take a Catholic stance on anything I just think there's always there's the crone the mother and the maiden you know there's and that's more witchcraft than anything else but there's always been this this three triple goddess um, three fucking the Holy Spirit the fucking father and the son you know what I mean it's always been three there's the evil uncle there's the king and then there's the son you know it's just it's, it's always like a, this triangle you know the pyramid with the eye in it you know the triangle with the, the eye in it like it's always three is important ever so uh, i'm gonna go through this these questions i'll i'm gonna um, i'm gonna allow the questioner who's asking peterson the question to say the question and then from there i don't know if i'm gonna start off and then let peterson describe it more likely I'm going to let Peterson start and then stop Peterson and give you my point of view on this shit. So if you don't like my videos like this, well then you can just piece the fuck out, I guess. But it is what it is. 
Um, I want to thank everybody once again who checks my shit out and listens to it. Um, and yeah, here we go. Let's get going with the process, shall we? And that's exactly right. Like if you read Beyond Good and Evil, for example, which is mostly aphorisms. So because he was a very sick man and he couldn't write for long periods of time. So he would think for long periods of time and then write down a little bomb. And Beyond Good and Evil is just sequential pieces of dynamite. And he wasn't trying to be systematic precisely. And so that's why it's not so easy to agree or disagree with Nietzsche. But you can sure let the bombs go off in your brain if you read what he has to say. And he, he was an interesting critic of Christianity because, you know, if you're all warped and bent and someone comes along and tells you how you're warped and bent in a manner that might enable you to straighten up, it's not obvious that, they're, that you're their enemy, that they're your enemy. And I think that's the right way to read Nietzsche with regards to Christianity. So he, there was plenty of rot. And that was part of what was causing, let's say, the death of God. Now, it isn't obvious at all that Nietzsche was antithetically opposed to the founding ideas. In fact, there's many places where he writes that indicate quite the contrary. So. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to go to Alex and then Saeed is going to distribute the microphone. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, so I was watching a few of your interviews in preparation for this, and I heard you speak about religion quite a bit. And if you look up what religion means in the Webster Dictionary, you get something like um, a system of faith centered on a supernatural being or beings or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I've heard you use religion to describe things like punk rockers, for example, that that's a religious experience. So my first question would be, how do you define what is considered religious? And then sort of as a follow-up to that, um, if, say, Sam religious Harris... Religious is what you act out. What's that? Religious is what you act out. Anything you act out. Everything you act out is is predicated on your implicit axioms and the system of implicit axioms that you hold as primary is your religious belief system. It doesn't matter whether you're an atheist or not. That's just surface that's just surface noise. So it has nothing to do with divinity or no, supernatural beings. No. Or it doesn't necessarily have to do with those. No, it probably necessarily has to do with it too, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your voluntarily articulated statements about whether or not you believe in something like a transcendent deity. So, I mean, what you act out is much more what you are than what you say about yourself. And what the hell do you know about what you believe anyways? You're complicated, man. It's a fair question. Well, seriously, people are complicated. You know, like we're, we don't, we're not transparent to ourselves at all. That's why, we ha that's why we have to go to university and study psychology. It's like, you know, we're, we're, we're not exactly black boxes, but we are the most complicated things there are, right? And we can't even program our VCR clocks. So it's like, how the hell can we propose to understand ourselves? And, you know, I'm existentially oriented, which is to say that I think that what you hold to be true is best determined as, an, as a consequence of an analysis of your actions 
rather than as a consequence of an analysis of what you purport to believe. Now, in order to act, you can't act without a, a hierarchy of value, which I tortured the other poor questioner about. You can't act without a hierarchy of values, because you can't act unless you think one thing is better than another. Because why, why would you act otherwise? So that means that you're embedded within a hierarchy of values, whether you know it or not. Or maybe multiple fragmentary and competing hierarchies of value, which is all the worse for you, by the way, because it just makes you very confused. That hierarchy of values has an axiomatic, it's, it's based on axioms. And the probability that you understand them is very low, because generally people don't understand their axioms. But that axiomatic system is essentially your religious system. And there's, there's no way out of that, as far as I can tell. And you can say, well, it isn't predicated on conscious belief in a transcendent deity. It's like, okay, have it your way. But, you know, most people in this room act out a Judeo-Christian ethic. And not only do they act it out, if they're treated in a manner that's not commensurate with that ethic, they get very, very, very annoyed. Okay, Dr. Peterson, I gotta stop you right there, my man, but don't get it twisted. I fucking respect everything you've ever said and ever will say, um, even if it isn't in coordination with my beliefs at this time. But anyway, so what he's saying here is, oh, that's not how I wanna start this. But, so, how am I gonna connect this to a fucking how you do your um, initiation on an electrical, let's say you're against witchcraft, Let's say you're against fucking magic and you don't want to do that, but you do want to become awakened and you do want to be able to maybe use like versus like and shit like that. Well, this is one way to do it. Listen to what the fuck this man is saying. So, what he did, what helped his mind expand and explode and figure this shit out was going back into history and finding old stories and deities. And it goes way back further than the Judeo-Christian narrative and the stories. However, he thinks they have best articulated it in the best way that has helped us create our legal system and stuff like that. You'll hear it later on more um, um, more explicit on a level that's easier to comprehend than what I'm saying right now. But he says the reason why and Maybe it's not the reason why we use the Bible in church and all that. Because it's like, well, if I don't believe in the Bible, then what's the use of using the fucking Bible in the church? Well, the Bible in church is used because by using the Judeo-Christian um, laws, rules, or using that, it's basically saying... We all adhere to and admit and understand that everybody in society, whether you are on trial for fucking murder, killing your own fucking children, mother, you're a rapist, you're one of the worst of the worst fucking creatures that's ever lived in this planet. We are giving you the benefit of the fucking doubt that you have Christ within you, the Son of God within you, the light of the All Spirit itself within you. And on that book, on that Bible, we place 
within you the trust that you have divinity within you even though you might have done an act which would be classified as something that the devil you know would do whatever the case is that is and that's a bunch of bullshit right but because i mean if everybody really believes in heaven and hell it's like well just let the murderers fucking go to hell when they die it's like no that punishment isn't enough we know it's not enough but instead of taking that shit literally instead of taking the bible literally meaning christ says well i'll go to heaven if you're good and the devil says we're all and god itself and the devil says we're all going to hell if we're bad well instead of just taking that because that's what they did for a while right they believed that we were just gonna that eventually god was gonna come back and the world was gonna be done then that shit never happened so then we were forced to create societies create um businesses structure um you know our whole fucking our whole goddamn society from the fucking water means to everything you know but there was a long period of time where people were just waiting for god to come back you know and that's when the gnostic shit probably came out maybe it was before it maybe it was after it i don't know but gnostic speculation basically says that god's left us alone and figured this shit out for a while now and it's like as much as I like that idea, because it's probably more accurate than what the Christians are stouting, but it's more—it's—it's not—it's not that he's left us alone to figure this out. He created us to figure this shit out. We're part of him. We are the all. We have to figure this out. Hence, why, you know, I had this debate the other day with somebody who was talking about how the vaccines are supposed to kill us all and put chips in us so they can track us everywhere. And, you know, if I want to go right, they're going to make me go left and dumb shit like that. I'm like, seriously, I'm like, please don't take this the wrong way. And I don't want to fight with you because I like you as a person and a friend. And normally when people start saying their opinions on this stuff, people start not liking each other because of it. So understand that I don't care that that's your opinion and it doesn't bug me. And I won't think less of you, okay? Because I had that opinion at one point as well. But understand that from what I figured out was simply that they don't want us dead. They need us. They need us to pay for shit. If there is an elite that everybody's talking about and they're the ones forcing us to get these vaccines for whatever goddamn reason, I'm telling you right now, it's not to fucking kill us. It's to keep us going. They want us to be saved because if we die, there's nobody to pay these taxes to keep the whole infrastructure going. There's nobody to keep the society going. We are the little ants working, keeping the fucking people on top of the hole. And the best way to keep us divided is to keep us arguing over pointless bullshit like this that doesn't even fucking matter. Meaning, vaccines are going to kill you. Vaccines are there to track you. Vaccines are no good. COVID is fake. No, versus COVID is real. Vaccines are going to help you. We should all be vaccinated. We should all be double vaccinated. We should all wear your mask. Blah, 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 blah. We're all fighting over this pointless crap once again that doesn't even fucking bloody matter. You know? And that's, that's my biggest problem with all of this bullshit. It's the fact that we rather fight over the little details that they allow us to understand, they allow us to know, that they allow us to use and talk about and figure out, you know, because if, if there's some kind of truth out there that these truth seekers and these people are seeking, if there's some ultimate truth about all this shit, we do not have it. Let me tell you, we do not fucking have it. They are not releasing it. They are... They're literally stopping the information, the flow of information. If you talk about COVID in a derogatory way on anything, whether you are a star or not, like I said, Nicki Minaj got in trouble for this. There's been a few other mainstream people that talked about it, not even in a really bad way either. Like, I was like, 
a friend of a friend of a friend said this. So just do your research. And then that gets banned to the point where she can't even fucking be on Twitter. You know, that's fucked up. Or Instagram, one of those two. So, and if I make a video about it, it gets locked up initially. Like I have fucking three or four videos that are completely fucking deleted from my YouTube without my permission, without anything. Like they are controlling all of this so that you can't talk bad about it. Because they don't want us to spread the bad information. But that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. It's like whether this is real or not, I don't know. But they are only, they are now, not only do they have the ability to not release the bad information anymore, any bad information you do see, anything about. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Anything like that. Seriously, second guess that fucking shit. Because I'm not trying to fucking tell anybody what's what, but... They want us to control narratives just so that we only have so much information to go by. You know? So putting on a little show with shit. My phone's still fucked up in the front, so I have to use my phone in the backwards way. Um back my crack screen back. And I'm not here to start fucking whatever, but seriously, if I was to if I was a betting man, the Fauci guy arguing with the senator guy that I was showing that other clip that other fucking day, to me fake it's a way to control narratives why would they want this bad publicity about this guy out there you know what i mean why why would they do that why would that be on tv why would that circulate the web we can't even talk bad about covid giving our like people that don't even matter like me i've only got like less than 100 subscribers make a video showing some facts about covid and i get taken off yet they're gonna show a mainstream thing on TV, Fauci in front of a Senate, and they're asking him why he created COVID, and it's his fault for creating this fucking thing, and they're trying to find him um, guilty and trying to charge his ass and all that. They're gonna put that out there? Why would they put that out there? Well, it's just to keep the conspiracies going, that they're just gonna lock up anyways. Like, so it doesn't make any bloody sense. No, it's so that we can keep arguing with each other. They're not gonna allow you to watch that shit. They're not gonna allow you to put that shit out there. But it doesn't mean they don't want you to fucking argue about it. it. doesn't mean they don't want you to have a fucking opinion about it and be against each other. But anyways, all that was to say was I had this conversation with one of the guys at work the other day. And, you know, it goes this... I don't know even how I got on this topic, to be honest. But they control the narratives, okay? They control the information they're allowed to release, okay? Um, I don't know why I went off on that because I was talking about something else, but... But the point of all that was, was I guess just to get that over there. Maybe it was just something I really needed to talk about. But anyways, it really doesn't matter now. 
but what I was trying to get at was the information is way older the information and like our, our justice system our court system and all that that was created based on judeo-christian um judeo-christian fucking uh, ethic narrative stories and metaphors and that we are all have the christ within us and we should all act as if christ is within us and god is within us and you know that's how we should behave that's how you behave correctly i guess in this in this world that being said though um we don't always act that way and when someone gets out of line that way especially if they're pleading innocent but they're really guilty well the judge so for example if i fail to treat you as if you're an embodiment of a divine fragment let's say that's characterized by the ability to the ability to make free choice and to determine your own destiny in some sense or if I fail to treat you as if you're a valued member, valued contributing member of the polity as a sovereign individual, then you'll find that very offensive and become angry. It's like, okay, then that's what you believe. Well, if I ask you if you believe any of that, well, that's a whole different story. You might give me some radical leftist nonsense, but that doesn't I take try away not from what you've, <laughs> that doesn't take away from the fundamentals of your action. As one final thing, so when you and all right, I just have a few more things to add to that. So, what he just said there was um, very important, and I'm seeing this more and more in my in my working what I'm doing right now. So the job I have right now is obviously not without issues, but it's a lot better than my last job. I'm actually you know, the last time I was saying I was happy, I was learning and all that in my job. But the drive to and from Ottawa and all that was in a way like slowly not killing me but it was it was hard whereas we do jobs in ottawa from time to time here but it doesn't bug me three days we're there we're done we're in and out and we get back in the town around my area a lot closer but uh to say the least i've been recently gaining more and more privileges in becoming more of a supervisor role but i already have a supervisor who talks a lot of stuff says a lot of things and and to give him some credit where credit is due he does know what he's doing he has more knowledge than I do let's say but at the same time his actions don't follow suit with the words that he says almost always like you'll see he'll be there tomorrow but then he's not there you'll see he'll coming in he wants to have a big meeting he wants to fix everything but then he's not there whereas me might be late sometimes but I'm always there I've only, I have only missed two days recently because I had strep throat but now that's all good all gone point is what Peterson's talking about I see that reflected in my life and what I mean by that is your actions actually show your true beliefs and your words don't mean shit and I've said this many times and it's 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 a truth okay because someone is going to show you how they believe in the way they act rather than what they say and this is what I think what Thunder Wizard was always spouting about action 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 why he didn't believe like things like affirmations and other things like that may or may not work it was due to the fact that anybody could say anything but it's really your actions that that um, tell you what you believe and what's real that being said if you say certain things and then you use the actions to follow what you're saying and doing and like you know you, you if you're doing a type of magic and you cast for something and then you add action into that with your belief and then your emotion well you're going to make that manifest that's that's inevitable that's how it works and the opposite is also true if you 
are worried about something happening and then you're putting the emotion into that that you're you know you're got this negativity emotion this this vibe that you're really worried it's going to happen you're trying to shake it but you're really worried that that's ultimately going to happen and your actions follow suit meaning you're preparing for that to happen potentially or whatever the case is or you know everything you do uh shows and you really think this is going to happen well then that's also going to manifest so the reverse is also true and that's magic and that's the magic we talk about when people when we say even the people that don't believe in this stuff are performing magic on the daily that's the majority of what their magic is doing that the rest of it is just what's already been um it's already been implanted in their mind through repetition over and over again but nonetheless what he's saying here is people um if if i treat someone who even the person is an atheist and doesn't believe in god but if I treat them as if they don't have a part of divinity in them, I treat them like they're a piece of shit. Like recently, the things in that happened in Canada where, and it wasn't all the church, but the majority of it was church schools that were killing the native uh, Canadians and or Americans, depending on where it was along the borderline, where all the reserves are. But they were killing children in schools as recent as 1992, I think it was. Well, they were treating those people as if they weren't divine, that they weren't part of God. Yet God created everything, so how does that make any sense? But the point is, if you treat somebody as if they're not divine, um, for example, Black Lives Matter, that movement is due to the fact that apparently, quote-unquote, and I'm not putting an opinion on this, but a police officer killed a African-American, a person of a different race, and most people are assuming that that was done out of racism, meaning because he was a different color he didn't think he was an equal that he wasn't part of God and that's where this movement's coming from and that's what Peterson's talking about here if you are treated as if you are not a part of that divinity then no one likes it but then those same people might go out and say I'm an atheist I don't believe in God but their words don't mean shit the way they act or acting out that Judeo-Christian uh, that Judeo-Christian narrative now that being said the judeo-christian narrative is a lot older than the judeo-christian religion we've had that narrative forever it's been articulated and presented in different symbols and metaphors and stories throughout history but the most recent and the most conscious and the easiest one to understand in jordan peterson's uh professional opinion not mine i'm just spouting what he says here i tend to agree with it is the judeo-christian um version of uh, every individual being uh, a divine part of God so all that being said that doesn't mean the Judeo-Christian religion wasn't without its faults he's about to get into that and just another moment here and then I'll, I'll critique on that but so what I'm saying here is not that Christianity is the right religion and we all need to follow it that's definitely not what I'm saying what I'm saying is they had the best stories metaphors to date that really represent how we should treat people hence is why it was one of the reasons why it's used in our court systems I'm not saying it should be used in our court systems I'm not saying it's a good idea it's in our court systems what I'm saying is it's been used like that because it, it allows everybody to view everybody as if they are a part of the all the God the Creator and even if you've done something completely atrocious we will give you the benefit of the doubt but you know that's that's just how this played that's just how it played out in christianity with all its faults it has civilized the western world so to speak in a manner that has done well now has there been many problems absolutely as recently as 1992 there was people being murdered in schools children being murdered in schools at this hand this is what happens when uh, a religion 
when ideology becomes dogmatic and it's used to control people and this is what has to end and it's no longer serving a purpose that doesn't mean the religion or the spiritual ideas incorporated with the metaphor and the stories within that book don't have a purpose because they are older stories that were made newer as recently up to well, I can't I'm not gonna spell all the dates because it's been translated and redone so many times and there's still a lot of bad shit in that book that's 100% accurate but nonetheless anyways he's gonna get into the other part that I was just talking about how uh, it gets dogmatic and has problems and I don't know if it's Nietzsche or, or Dostoevsky I think who's critiquing it and so then I'll, I'll add my two cents in on that but I just wanted to add that to what I was saying so yeah say Sam Harris argue about religion you're arguing about fundamentally different things it sounds like his conception of what is religious is very different from yours yeah well he tends to think of religious religious thought the same way that a smart 13 year old atheist thinks about a fundamentalist Christian it's like yeah okay that just you're just not getting to the heart of the matter you know and I just finished reading all of Sam's books in the last couple of weeks and as far as I'm concerned he doesn't ever get to the bottom of the issue he doesn't address the fundamental thinkers there are some profound thinkers Dostoevsky's one Tolstoy Nietzsche Jung it's like they're completely absent from and the same with Dawkins it's completely absent all that conceptualization is completely absent from their corpus of works they don't even have an understanding for the psychological utility of religion and it's a big problem you know you you don't get to be an atheist when the people you attack are fundamental like like naive fundamentalists and I have some some sympathy for the naive fundamentalists it's like what they're basically saying is something like this look we have an ethos that's valuable you scientist types are casually dismantling it what the hell are we supposed to do well, the fundamentalists don't know what to do about that, so they say, well, creationism is science. It's like, well, no, it's not. But that doesn't mean that they don't have a point. Their point is there's something valuable here. It's like, don't break it casually. What are you going to replace it with? The new atheists wish, wish that everybody becomes rational. It's like, yeah, sure, that's going to happen. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Peterson. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a student of um, religious studies, and, and currently I'm writing an honors thesis on... Okay, so that was his um, critique of that. Now, there was something said before this that I never got a chance to uh, break down, to be honest, so I kind of have to break it down, but he said, um, he was, when he was talking about the biological shit, and he was talking about how he's uh, biologically minded, and 500 years ago is like barely anything, then he says something like 5,000 is more, and then he kept going up and up and up with the numbers until he got to like six billion years ago and he said now we're getting somewhere and that's to say basically what I was saying prior to this was that all these narratives have been with us for a long a long time and he said it wasn't just the whims of some northern Italians in the 1500s now if you look at the 1500s there's a bunch of shit that happened now 16 something is when the um, infamous um, or famous most popular used widely used maybe potentially um, King James Bible um, was was created in 16 what 11 I think was uh, when it first got translated now I think prior to that the 1591 still had uh, the J absent because J wasn't invented yet the, the letter J it was still an I 
but all that's to say is that in the 1500s, um, it, in Italy, um, Christianity and what was Roman Catholic then did not become, did not uh, get the Protestant or, um, fuck, what's the other word? Protestant or uh, one of the other branches of Christianity. Anyways, it was free from those things. So, um, I don't know exactly what he's getting at when he said that there. I was going to critique it, but but basically, um, in a nutshell, when he starts talking about the Sam Harris thing, and I like Sam Harris, so don't get that twisted. I like his views, I like his opinions and all that, but I do think, I do think Peterson has a point when he speaks about that, how they don't take into consideration um, the psychological effects of this stuff. When he's talking about the fundamentalists saying, hey, science, creation isn't a science. I think yeah, I think that's true. But science is trying to figure out how creation happened. Now, it's very hard to pinpoint how something happened how long ago, right? But using the Bible and using those creation stories, those are metaphors created by archaic people before they were very conscious. And then con more conscious people, as it went, kept redoing, rewriting, retranslating, and trying to make it more modern so that it could be understood to what we have, what we have today. But it's, it's just a conception, and it's it's the conception of the mind. And just because it can't be scientifically proven doesn't mean it doesn't have any, any good meaning or anything worth value. It absolutely does. But it's... I think I agree with Peterson in this aspect. Like, I don't think Christianity is a really good religion because of how the dogmatic view is the ideology, and it's just like, well, just believe what we say, and you'll go to heaven, kind of shit. I don't, I don't think that's good for anybody to just be okay. Well, you be a poor, good person who doesn't accomplish anything, and anything else is of the devil. But as long as you don't do this, you'll go to heaven. I don't think that's beneficial to anybody. I think that's more harm than anything, and I don't, I, I don't agree with that way of looking. But I do agree with anybody taking that Bible and seeing what it means for themselves and realizing what they need to do once they read that Bible and interpret, the, interpret it for themselves. I think that's what has to be done. Sorry about that. Oh, my fucking little fire is going in here for the spirits. Kind of took control there, so I had to put her out. But anyways, nonetheless, the point of what I'm saying is simply put that... Um, if you are somebody who doesn't believe in God, that's fine. It doesn't mean you still can't read the Bible. Because the Bible isn't the word of God. It isn't the word of this transcendent being who came down and said some shit to us. It's regular people that wrote... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
see that, especially when it's the bad stuff in there, where God tells men that if they suspect their wife of being in, uh, cheating on them, then there's a ritual you can get the priest to do to make that woman have an abortion. There's some brutal shit in that Bible, if you read through it. Now, was that what it originally said? Or was that put in there in translation by somebody who either had problems with his wife that day and wrote that down, or something other? I don't know. The point is, by reading it, you understand the people who wrote that. Some of them, I believe, were divinely inspired. Others, I believe, were inspired by a different force. Could also be, because just because you're angry and you're enraged and you're jealous, is that divine? Well, we have deities that represent those emotions. If you're writing in those states, there's some stuff that's going to come out of you. Is it divine in the sense of some divine deity like God that everybody thinks is benevolent beyond belief? Probably not, but it doesn't mean it's not inspired by something. All thoughts come from the mind. Thoughts are around us daily, and if you have a bunch of bad thoughts around you, you need to start banishing you just start banishing your thoughts so you can technically start banishing whatever it is around you that's trying to make you do bad things and hurt yourself. That's a whole different topic. Point is, these people wrote these things and you can get great information, great insight into the psyche as a whole from archaic people to newer people. Newer people, I mean by more modern. Um, I'm going to let that go for a second, all of that. How is this useful for your initiation? Well, the many things that we just talked about in these last few little clips are the beginning steps. So first of all, depending on where you are, you might be an atheist. Therefore, if you're an atheist, this is gonna hurt to a certain degree because you have to conceptual, concept, conceptualize and understand that there is an all spirit out there that we are all part of, and that we basically come from, that we split out into being with. You know, he doesn't say that in so many words, but by when he starts describing the law and how everybody has this transcendent light within them that comes from the all, the, the Christ, the Christos, whatever you want to call that, well, that's going to be hard to swallow and that's going to start a transformation process, a birth and a, a death and a rebirth within inside of you. It's a good stepping stone. Once you start getting that in your head, you understand why the Bible was used in the churches and all that. You understand how these stories are older than Christianity. How archaic people before us, whether it's Sumerians, whether it's Egyptians, whoever, had these same beliefs, but they just had it in different words. But that's a good starting step, because even in the book that I use, the curriculum I use, Kabbalah, the Great Work of Self-Transformation, we use Egyptian mythology. We speak about different older peoples. We even use uh, Christian religion sometimes for different things. We're using archangels. We're using all these different things. You don't want to go that route. That's fine. Going this route. Start your studying. Look at history. Look what happened in older histories. Look at all the older messiah, messianic um, uh, traditions where they have something like Christ, the equivalent that happened before Christ. Then you can start understanding the transformation and why the story is so powerful, why it shouldn't be used in a dogmatic way like Christianity, but it should be used to understand your own personal life. This is how we can interpret these questions, and that's the starting point. Now, he gets into more elaborate, because there's probably two more questions after this that circle the same drain, let's say, so to speak. But, is someone trying to get in here? Circle the same drain, so to speak, but um, by... But yeah, so when we get to those, we're going to elaborate this point. But this is like one of the first stepping stones, one of the easiest ways to start.
religious imagery in an Indo-Persian literary genre. There's a poet philosopher who said the following, which I think you'll like, who, by the way, was a huge fan of Goethe. He said that in addressing God, he says, he calls him the, the hidden reality, and he asks the hidden reality to reveal itself but using the robe of metaphor, because he thinks that metaphor is the only way, I, I, stories mm -hmm. are the only way that human beings can comprehend, you know, the, the hidden reality. Mm -hmm. uh, I know you've written a lot, about, uh, you, you speak a lot about, uh, about religious stories. I just wanted to ask you, although it may be a very broad question, what is the place of the religious in stories? And uh, Religious is something like the, the grammatical structure of stories. Like if you go down and you look at what makes a story a story, that's religious. Yeah, it's not a story otherwise. Like a story is a particular sort of thing. Like in, in its simplest sense, a story is an account of how to get from point A to point B. <clears throat> it's like a map. But there's a value structure in, in, inherent in that, obviously, because otherwise you wouldn't go from point A to point B. So just to make the map means to adopt a value structure. But the, but the story is actually more complicated than that because as you move from point A to point B, processes of radical transformation are often necessary. And the, the deep stories about the processes of radical transformation that occur as you move from point A to B are basically, they're, they're indistinguishable from religious stories. Now, the reason they, I think the reason they, they tend to become religious, let's say, is because... It has something to do with the gap between the finite and comprehensible and the infinite and uncomprehensible. It's like we live in the finite and comprehensible, but we're surrounded by the infinite and incomprehensible. And there has to be a border between those, of some, like a mediating border. That's poetry and art. That's narrative. That's religion. And it, it's, that, it's that strange metaphorical reality, let's say, that's not factual. And it's not comprehensible, but that's not infinitely incomprehensible either. It's a bridge between the two. So, and as you move closer to the infinite and incomprehensible across that bridge, you get farther and farther away from what you understand, right? But how could it be otherwise, given that you're finite, you are a finite being, surrounded by infinite, what's infinite and in, in, incomprehensible? And that was his critique of the strict rationalists, that they can't, mm. that, that, that it's hard for them to, to make this, uh, to, to, that's where poets come in and that's yes, where artists exactly. come in. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and this is, I learned a lot of this from Jung, because Jung's idea was that rationality is embedded in a dream. Like there's the infinite unknowable and then there's the dream. And then inside the dream is the rational domain. And I, I believe that to be the case. Why else would we dream? We have to dream. If we don't dream, we, we go insane. It doesn't take very long. And so there's, there's an element of poetic conceptualization that grounds us. And it has to be taken seriously. You know, the... All right, so whether this is part of the initiation process or not, not necessarily, but it helps to reinforce what we already spoke about previous to this, meaning the narratives, the stories, what the Bible was created out of, all that shit, okay? All that stuff um, is important because stories are can be religious. Um, this is why people are addicted to TV shows, movies, going to see Star Wars. I think he says so much. If it's not now or later on, but people will go wait in line overnight sometimes in the cold to see Star Wars when it was coming out. Like that's happened often. Like I worked at the movie theater in Cornwall. We didn't have many. We don't. We had forty. 
maybe 43 to 45,000 people at the time when I was a kid working at the theater. And when Star Wars had previews, if we did a midnight screening, we had lineups. Okay, crazy lineups. So we had some diehards that wanted to be first in that line in a small town. Okay, why do they want to see those stories so bad? Well, because there's something deep inside that story that speaks to them on a religious level. They might not even believe in God. They might be one of those people that have believe in that Star Wars religion, the Force religion, or whatever it is. And you know, fair enough. I love Star Wars. Star Wars really spoke to me. The um, the um, the pros and cons, not the pros and cons, the dark and the light force, right? The dark side, the light side. They're both sides. They both have powers. They both have use. They both have utility. But you need to have balance within your own force. You cannot use one more than the other. And, you know, that's one thing I always didn't really understand. The Jedi only used the good side of the force. The Sith only used the bad side of the force. To me, they were both um, not in proper balance. Because, like, the Jedi had to make sure they were never fearing anything. Never using this, never doing that. But there are times where fear come in handy. So, that, in a sense, was unbalanced. And that's probably why the Jedi never lasted and the Sith never lasted. At least in the earlier stories. But anyways, nonetheless... That's a, that's a little sidetrack, but the point of all that is to say that people within stories, if a story is just like, hey, I left my house today, I went to work. Who's going to watch my video? That's my only story. But it's like, hey, on my way to work, I saw this old lady, and I went to help her out, and then she gave me some money. So then I was like, oh, yeah, I did a good deed, but then I bought crack with that money, and then I got robbed, and then blah, 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 blah. Point is... I give you a bunch of ups and downs and then it's like hey I quit crack and I got off the drugs and then I cleaned up my life and everything good happened you know that's a story people are gonna listen to because there's some shit like maybe not that specific story but you know the hey I did something good which led to something bad which led to uh, me figuring out I had to fix my life and I was in the under fucking world for like a few years and then I made my way out and now I'm out but I know I'm still gonna go up and down from time to time my job now is to make sure that that stays at a minimal you know that's the stories we want to hear. We want stories that tell us. We want metaphors. We want religious stories that tell us how to stay out of trouble. And it's okay if you get into trouble as long as you make your way out. And if you're way too fucking gone, it's going to be harder to get out. But you can still work your way out. You know, that's the kind of stories we want. So this point, this question is not necessarily something that will help you along your transformation or your initiation rather. But it definitely helps. Um instantiate the previous question which has two other questions that go along with it i don't know if it's the next guy or, or whoever but the next guy is almost like a testimonial of how watching someone like peterson and when peterson is discussing uh carl jung how carl jung's work itself if you understand it will transform you if that doesn't transform you you can watch someone like peterson who interprets young gives you his spin on it and that still can have it could still reorganize your your psyche and basically have you do a spiritual transformation without you even knowing it just trying to learn from peterson trying to learn some psychology and he'll literally transform you from the inside out and i think that's one of the reasons why peterson is so popular it's making so much money because he's actually helping people do this process and it is a spiritual one and he's doing it correctly as far as i can tell as correct as he possibly can he's still a human he's still flawed he still has his problems but he's just the, the focal point he's the part that all these ideas and these structures that he's been laboring at for years and years and years to figure out and understand all these whatever you want to call them spirits deities ideas um 
thoughts, thought forms, whatever it is that's around him is helping him decipher this. And he's just a channel, let's say. He's a channeler. He's channeling all this information and giving it out to us. Now that comes with its own set of problems. He's in the spotlight. People don't like him. People do like him. People wish well. People wish him not well, you know. That comes with your own set of problems. And that's one of the reasons why people like Brader Xavier like to remain anonymous. But nonetheless. But anyways, that's, that's my opinion about this question. But we'll get on to the next one now. And yeah. The rational critics of dreams think about them as random neural activity. It's like there's nothing... Ra when you look at a TV screen that's not on a channel, that's random. When you dream something complex and sophisticated, that's not random. So, yeah, so the metaphor surrounds us, let's say. And we can critique it rationally and we can undermine it, but there's real danger in that. So... Alright, so, I guess I was wrong. There is something initiative, initiative, initiatory, I don't know, part of your initiation within this question. Now, not the actual question itself that the questioner asked, but how Peterson transformed it into speaking about dreams. Because <coughs> metaphors and stories come from our psyche, come from our unconscious. And that's one of the biggest, that's what he says this later on too, about writing and reading and how it makes you a superpower, um, and how writing structures your thinking and all that and I've said that many times too I've even said that before I knew about Peterson but then after when he confirmed it I went on and on and on about it I think I made multiple videos about it to be honest but he ends up pouring it to the dream Carl Jung the dream okay how Carl Jung I don't think he says it but Carl Jung used to think was it Carl Jung I don't I think so that used to think that when he was dreaming was more real than the, than the, the real world let's so to speak okay um, but anyways all that being said Dream work, dream journals, all that shit. Watching your dreams, listening to them, learning how. The more you dream, the more healthy you are. That's fucking, that's, uh, he said it too. If you're not dreaming, if it doesn't they want for you to go crazy. One of the best things you can do is keep a dream journal and start dreaming every night and start remembering your dreams. Once you start remembering your dreams, it's amazing the things you can do. When you can start taking control of those dreams, even better. Now, once again, I'm still not where I want to be, but once I realize I'm in the dream, I can take control of that bitch, okay, almost right away, almost right away, almost every single time, almost. Now, once again, it's hard for me to make things happen the way I want to if I try to stretch the boundaries of the dream too much, it's almost like inception, but if I do, I lose it, I wake up, but still, and then I generally don't dream again that night, and that's happened, but generally I don't. Point is, I can, and it's because of stuff like having a dream journal, trying to remember your dreams every day. Once you get into that routine of like every time you wake up, you go sit in your dream journal, you just try to write something. It doesn't matter what. Even if this is the only writing you do, it will help you in the long run for so many things from your speaking, from your negotiating, from your communicating, from your dream journal, from your psyche. Everything will get better for you. 100%. And don't ever discount dreams. And don't think you don't dream because everybody dreams. I don't care if you're only sleeping a little bit every night because you're on drugs or fucking dreaming. No matter what. But anyways... So yeah, I had to point that out because one of the first steps of any magical system is to keep a dream journal. It always is. It helps you so many different ways you don't even know. I still don't even realize all the ways it helps me and I'm trying to figure them out. But like, there's more coming to me. I'm just not going to get into it all right now because I don't want to overwhelm people. But anyways, let's keep going.
take one question from here, then take one on the other end. I think we have a right side of the room bias happening. <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure it. Take one. Uh, hi, Professor. Yeah, thank you for your talk. I'd like to find out from you, uh, what's your view of institutional racism? Is it a thing or is it some other left, radical leftist uh, agenda? Say, say, I didn't quite catch the first part uh, of that. What, what's your view of institutional racism or systematic racism, as some people may call it? Institutional uh, system. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, is, it, uh, is it a thing? Is it an actual thing? Or is it, is, it, uh, is it some other agenda that you might attribute to radical leftists? It's a multivariate problem, right? Like no society is without its biases and prejudices. And some of them get built into the systems themselves. And so when you look at unequal outcomes and you're trying to discover why those unequal outcomes exist, if you have any sense, then you do a multivariate analysis and you put in prejudice and discrimination as one of the factors one of the factors, one of many, many factors. And what the problem with the radical leftists is... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Is that they take the fact that societal structures are tyrannical to some degree and arbitrary, which of course they are because they're imperfect, and then they obliterate the rest of the complexity with that claim. So there's lots of reasons for inequality. Systemic bias is one of them. To what do, It's an open question. All right, so this one's a tough one. Not a tough one, but the fact that it's a black man uh, asking the question about systemic racist, asking if that's a left thing or not. Um, I think Peterson does a good job sidestepping the issue and trying not to get too controversial. And I'm not even going to touch the issue at hand. Only to say that this one's got to go a little deeper, but I can see the meaning in this. So duality, polarity. I talk about it a lot. Freder Xavier drilled it into my head at the beginning of his Mystery School series, which if anybody hasn't watched that, they should. Even if they are trying to just intellectually become awake and not magically become awake, you should still watch that series because he does it in such a way that it makes so much sense. Anyways, that aside, what he's talking about here, systemic racism is part of the tyrannical structure. It's always built into it, but it's only one aspect of it. So not only is this talking about some polarity, some diversity, some race, racist and duality, them against us, okay? It's one thing that's in the structure, but it's not the only thing. There are many different reasons. This teaches you how to think critically. 
doesn't you can just say okay well because these people are of this race this is why they don't have opportunities and that's probably there's probably part of that that is true but there's other reasons as well that attribute to that and once you start looking into all the other reasons then you are not so not so ignorant let's say and I'm not saying that there isn't racism because there is and it's a big part of our world it still is it's not as big as it used to be and there's things that are getting better every single day probably other aspects that are getting worse every single day can't have the good without the bad can't have the bad without the good so understand that that's all built into this question here it's understanding the true nature of things and you really have to go deep for this one but because I have the ability to think critical and see behind things and find correspondences then I could take a question like this and I can try to turn it into something more positive now he does say it is part of the left movement and it's part of this and it's part of that and I think he's got some good grounds there to understand that and it does make sense. But at the same time, this thing, this question up to this point anyways, is mostly teaching about and how you can think critically about an issue. So instead of just seeing one issue and just thinking it's fucking racism and blowing that up and going with it and causing more them against us, us against them causing more separation so that we never unite. If you think critically about all the different ways, and issues and things because like it's not hard a regular person can do this with the data at hand you can easily find why such things seem to act and be such ways and what I mean by that is when you see certain problems you can honestly just assume it's racism you can assume it's this you can assume it's that or you can look into it you can see how many times this has happened to different races and then you can see what might be the problem what are the what are the, um, the commonalities what are the common denominators? What are all the other, um, all the other, I can't think of the word, all the other variables that took into it is just something that continuously happens only to this or does it happen to every other gender? Does it happen to every other race? You know what I mean? There's, there's ways to look around it. You can easily take one thing and take it from a wall and make it to, uh, take it from an anthill to make it a fucking mountain, right? But you don't have to. And instead of just jumping on another ideology and another dogma or another cause, and I'm not saying there's not cause for for to fight systemic racism. We should fight systemic racism. We really should. But for me, I don't think there's an, I don't personally think there's a cabal out there against specific races. Now I could be wrong, but for me, it's certain men or women come to power who have these, who've been raised to have these different beliefs these racist um, beliefs I guess in their mind and then they flaunt those and then they they find ways around to make their racism be part of not hiring certain people or not allowing certain people to get this or that and then it's blown up now I know that's part of the answer but I know that's not the only thing that causes this to happen okay but yes yeah, so this question is teaching about polarity duality and how to think critically Instead of just automatically assuming, jumping to assumptions, taking the time to really figure shit out. Well, that's really worked to produce a peaceful world, hasn't it? So you, you, you need a uniting narrative. We have, if we weren't, didn't have a uniting narrative, we wouldn't all be sitting peacefully in this room. It's the uniting narrative that governs our behavior in this room. And look, here we are, all peaceful. It's like they're not dealing with the fundamental issues. And to slip Marxism back in as a backdoor route to having something to do with your life is intellectually, intellectually and morally reprehensible. Okay, thank you. Yep.
How are you, sir? Uh, my name is Steve. Uh, I just wanted to ask you about this experience that I had after watching one of your lectures that really profoundly impacted me, and I was, I was wondering if you could kind of help me out with understanding this. Um, after watching your lecture on Jung and just talking about his life, uh, you started ta um, talking about the Lion King and, and kind of connecting what the intro scene was in the Lion King and, and the, the idea of archetypes. And when I, you know, I started to understand what you were saying, I had this unbelievable feeling you know, like in my stomach, in my whole body. It's just this smack, like this, like this very intense feeling. It's a and warning never to read Jung. Yeah, well, I, I have. I, I started with Ion, so that's oh, maybe not, not a good idea. So no, yeah. um, it was just this powerful feeling, and I, I got so emotional, you know. And, and asking, uh, thinking up how to articulate this question to you a few minutes ago, I was just getting so emotional. It was, it was, uh, it just seems like, you know, it scared the hell out of me that feeling. Mm -hmm. But it was also a really meaningful, so valuable, amazing feeling. And I thought, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like what, maybe what God is, or, you know, yeah, it was, it was just so, and I usually get that, that feeling too of, of after listening to like a band like the Cro-Mags or Black mm -hmm. Flag or, mm -hmm. you know, some mm -hmm. hardcore band or see like uh, that music is so important to me like that. And, mm -hmm. and, um, it's so levels of reality that is. stacking mm -hmm. on top of each mm -hmm. other. And it, all right. So in case you didn't hear that part, it was, it was levels of reality stacking on top of each other. So yeah, this dude was asking a question. He gives him an answer, but then he just keeps talking on it. I don't like that. So at first I thought this guy was kind of like nice. And, and I, I believe he had that experience and all that. I just, I don't like when it seems like he wants to talk in front of everybody and just say his piece. But then when Peterson gives an answer like that, he continues on with his question. You know, it's like, uh, but. He literally says it's realities stacked on top of each other. Now that's huge. Let's not forget that. I'm going to keep going, but let's not forget that, okay? Just the, the question that just made me so emotional, too, is like, what could my life be? You know, and, and that was something that I, I just found myself asking myself, you know, just, just what. And I just, I, I wonder if you could, you know, give me some, some extra stuff on that, what that really was, you know. Yeah, well, you gotta you gotta be very careful when you're when you're doing something like reading Jung, because he'll reorganize your cognitive structures, and that's there's deaths and rebirths that go along with that. You know, there's what you're trying to do in part is to, in a sense, is you're trying to bring what you do and how you imagine yourself and how you articulate yourself into a line. All right, so this part is huge. Remember where he said realities are stacked on top of each other and the guy didn't hear it. But then he's talking about how you want to realign yourself and reading young will literally help from, you say, realign your cognitive structure or sort out, your, I forget how he put it that, but it's important and it will. I've read young and there's a lot I didn't understand and I'll be completely honest and I don't even like saying that out loud, but there was a lot I didn't understand. I'm not going to pretend like I know the same much, the amount, same amount as him, but I don't. But what I could understand really got to me. Really, you, even if you think you understand archetypes, until you read young, you don't understand archetypes. At least not in the sense, like, you can understand an archetype is like a, a deity that uh, signifies a, a, let's say, an emotion or a... You know, you can have that base knowledge of that, sure. But in your mind, in a level of dreams, in a level of imagination on how the archetype 
plays out. I don't know. I, it's, it's hard for me to even describe it. But being really young, you get a better grasp of that. At least I have. So, but I, I said this is kind of like a testimonial within this for a reason. Because I always say, if you want to learn how to do something, whether it's magical or whatever the case is, and someone is teaching you how to do that, one of the best things you could do for your mind, as in repetition, to program the possibility that you can do this in your mind, is to watch testimonials of how other people have done it and the success gained by it. So by watching something like this, oh, what a piss off! I taped a bunch of shit, recorded a bunch of shit, and then my I ran out of space, so it stopped, and I don't even know where I ended up. But anyway, so I'll try to remember. But watching something like this over and over again will make the possibility in your mind. A potential and like I said reading young is gonna help you but you don't need to read young for it to help you but you want the possibility to be able to reorganize your, your cognitive structures to be a possibility okay and it will become a possibility you want to be able to do that so this guy is having this experience while he's listening to young and are listening to Jordan Peterson explain young okay and it's already having a profound effect on him. He starts feeling something. He's feeling a death and a rebirth. And the reason this spoke to me so bad is because this is what the process of magic does for me. It's done it for me. It's done it for millions of people. When you realize, when things start coming together in your mind, when your realities stack up, then your actions and your imagination or whatever he's about to say, whenever they start coming into alignment, because your actions already have a bunch have your belief systems everything within your actions has everything you actually believe in and all that but your imagination and your own um your own uh, consciousness might think you believe something differently for your body and we talked about this earlier and this is why i said there's a lot of questions in here that kind of overlap each other but from different angles and it's very important but your consciousness will have what you think you believe in It'll have what you think you actually believe in, which you might not, and other things you tell people you believe in when you're at parties and you're trying to impress people, which you don't. You'll have the other lies you put out for different people. You'll have all these different layers of who you are, okay? But that's just in your consciousness. That's just ideas, just thoughts. It's just what you try to project to people. But your actions actually have the real fucking thing in you. So when you try putting those in alignments, you're going to have some emotional shit happen. And you're gonna realize like that's why my last few videos were about truth at all costs and then the truth is like God and all these different things right why was I doing that because I've realized it took me a long time to realize this but I finally realized that the wine is not the fucking way to go that if the more you lie the more you fuck everything up in your life and there's no fucking good in there and regardless of what people think or say like you might be able to lie to people once or twice and get away with it but it doesn't mean they're going to believe you. Worse, it doesn't mean they're, even, they're probably already talking behind your back. But your actions are what people see and trust. It's not your words. Because you can say whatever you want. But if you're lying through your teeth, unless it's one little lie that you only do once and you feel bad about it and you never do it again. Unless that's the situation. Because even then that can go wrong. But if that's not the situation, then it's going to backfire on you. Because then you're going to keep getting away with that lie. Because you thought you got away with it once. I see this in my work, like I was talking about earlier. The one guy who's supposed to be supervisor, he's there for three days a week and that's it. And he keeps saying he's gonna be here, and he's gonna be here, he's gonna be here, but he never fucking does it. So no matter what bullshit he says out of his mouth, his actions truly tell us what's really fucking going on with him. 
and that he's not a trustworthy guy. You can't trust him. You can't go by his word. He is not an honorable man. And that sucks whenever you lose that. But he lost that. Whereas me, I might be late sometimes. I might be brutally honest when I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But I'm always there. I'm always willing to stay. I'm always willing to help. And everybody sees that. Everybody likes me. The workers like me. The guys follow me. If I wasn't there today, and they only worked till 10 o'clock. Richard left, which is the supervisor. The other two guys left not long after him. So, once again, when you try to put together all those levels that he was talking about earlier, that part I said, remember that part where he said, levels of reality stacking up on each other well the when those levels of reality because your thoughts are a part of your part of your reality they're not as real as your body and your words and what people see in the tree outside but their potential reality when those are in alignment with what your actions are then you're creating magic on a basis that you can't even comprehend but the fucking stones and the shit i'm laying down at my job right now with my actions and my thoughts and my words all being in an alignment and then my thoughts and my dreams are also in alignment with that okay for the most part anyways obviously I'm fucking human so I make mistakes but the longer I have that all in alignment alright I hope this thing can hear me right I have to start using this now because my phone won't fucking allow me to record enough at one time so the good thing is you see me completely laying down so just my face bad news is I don't know if it hears me good so fucking figure it out Third time I have to say the same thing over again. I'm getting pissed. But um, I was trying to get to was the fact that when you do magic, when you get these ideas and you get it, you watch Freder Xavier over and over again. And you start reading the Kabbalah Great Works Self Transformation. This is what I did. Whenever that starts happening, okay, you start watching his, let's say you start watching his, um, he's got a bunch of um, testimonials, people that have done his products done his processes, done the book, ask questions, mailbag, good for that too. And you start seeing the success and the results they've had. Well, it's gonna make you wanna buy his products and then you're gonna get the same results. But the more you watch that, the more you build the programming, repetition, programming that you are gonna able to do this. See, we're able to do whatever the fuck we want, but we have to enter the correct programming prior to trying to do these things. Meaning, you start magic. Until you get in the repetition of doing candle magic over and over again and realizing and believing that it's actually going to work and it's going to work. Faster way to do it, doing your candle magic. Why you listen to people who say testimonials about how candle magic works. You watch Frederick Xavier talking about candle magic. You buy one of his courses saying how to do candle magic. Why you listen to testimonials of other people all over YouTube doing candle magic and receiving it, especially me. That's all I talk about. Most of my magic is done with candle magic. See that candle right there? It's got magic on it. Hasn't manifested yet, but it will. I know I just used all your minds to help boost up. Because you don't know what sigil is on there, but you saw it. You didn't even see it. You saw it. You looked at the candle. You put energy into that. Thank you. I appreciate it. I really do. Point is, it's done. It's going to happen. I already know it's going to happen. I have no doubt in my mind. I put that program in my mind. When that shit happens, especially for the first few times with you, you're going to have a birth, and a, a, a death, and a rebirth. Because you can't truly believe in it. Until, holy fuck, well, it's not done the whole of my shirt, but it's my shame. Um, you can't fully believe into something until you see it. And that's the hard part about magic. You have to watch so much of this stuff and get the programming in there that it's even possible first. Because fake it till you make it doesn't always work. 
This is why sigil magic is one of the best magics to start with. Because you put a symbol somewhere and it will just manifest when you least expect it. Following the law of least expectance. Okay? Because the minute you think magic is bullshit, and you've done everything if you've done everything properly and you finally let that go and you think it's never gonna manifest, bam, that's when it manifests. And then that's when you know. And you literally have a death and a rebirth right there. And that's what this guy's talking about. That's what Peterson's talking about. That's what that guy was talking about. Yeah, when I figured that was dirty, you turn it and do it with flat roofs, but it's almost impossible to get off. Almost. But the point of all this was, is this can be considered a testimonial. The things he's talking about, realities stacking up, when your actions are in coordination with what you are doing. When everything lines up, it's a beautiful thing. Like I said, the guy I'm working with, Bullshit comes out of his mouth all the time. No one believes him anymore. It's getting worse and worse for him every single day because no one trusts him. He's not a man of his word because he says one thing, but then he does another thing. And whether it's drugs or just uh, he's a pathological liar, who knows? There's an issue there. We all know it. We just don't know what it is yet. But his actions and his words do not follow suit. So either this is his thoughts or his dreams. Either none of those are in the same you know, even his emotions, nothing is in coordination. I might be late for work a lot. I might not know as much as him, but I'm always there. I'm always there late. I'm always helping. Everybody likes me, from the secretary to my boss to my coworker. Everybody wants to work with me. Today they only work till 10.30. I don't know if I recorded this already or not. I'm saying it again just in case I didn't. The point is, everybody likes working with me because I'm a man of my word. And if I say something, I stick to it. The only time I only worked like four or earlier is if I say that's all we're going to do because I have to do that. But I don't change my mind on a whim. I could be trusted. Somebody you can't trust that you decide working with it makes you very uneasy all day. It's not a good way to work. Point is, I've worked on this. This has taken me a while to get to where I am right now. Where I have made videos and, and my last few videos are truth at all costs and God is truth and whether good or God or truth or whatever. It took me a while to realize that telling lies, trying to bullshit my way out of things, it's not the way to go. I'm better off to just straight up tell the fucking truth. No matter how brutally honest it is, no matter how brutal the repercussions are going to be, just spit it out. Because eventually, everything will come back to you in that shitty fucking way. Whether they find out your lies or not, or they test you on it and you have to find a way to bullshit out of that, or it, things just backfire on you, you know what I mean? It, it's never going to work. And if you want people to trust you, people to work with you, and everything will go well, you gotta knock that shit off. You stop the wine. Read some young books. Start getting archetypes down. Start reorganizing your psyche. You know, this is this is the intellectual way to do an initiation into magic, into being able to do proper things. Like this guy, he's on his road there. How what he just said there, I know he's on his way. He's gonna he's gonna do great. You know, he might be more susceptible, susceptible to stuff like this. Like I'm an earth sign. Water signs would be probably even worse than earth signs, but we're both feminine and we both receive more, right? So we're going to be more, whereas we're other people that are not really projecting have trouble receiving. But that's a whole other topic for another day. And I talked about that in my early podcast, so go look at it if you want. But, um, yeah, all that's to say is I'm going to let Peterson finish this up actually now and I'll chime back in if there's more I have to say. So, yeah. So those three things are the same. It's very hard because there's more to you in your action than there is in your articulation. 
and there's more to you in your action than there is in your imagination and so partly what you're what you're experiencing is an expanded sense of 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 self and possibility and you might think well that's a wonderful thing but it's a it's also a very daunting thing and it it can be a very dangerous thing when I was dealing with all of this material when I was writing my first book I had to abandon a lot of the things that I was doing that were bad habits because it was so stressful to move through these systems of ideas that I couldn't afford any additional mental energy being wasted on things I was doing that wasn't that weren't together so Hi Dr. Peterson uh, so on February 13th you got into a prolonged debate uh, on Twitter with a quote bot, uh, a Slava Zizek quote bot, and then again on March. With a quote bot? Yeah, it was, it was a quote bot. No, that wasn't very bright, was it? No. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then again on uh, on March 9th, actually, with uh, Noam Chomsky, uh, Noam Chomsky quote bot. And so uh, I want to ask you, as like the leading. Because I'm old and don't understand yeah. technology. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So. Uh, how, how important do you think it is to like debate these uh, intellectuals, and, and do you think that you uh, you won? Oh God, I always hesitate, the hesitate to claim victory, like to to escape without abject defeat is a pretty good, pretty good uh, ambition. So, um, and plus, I, I think it's rather improbable that I would win a debate with a quote bot. Uh, so, some people thought it was pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> um, Twitter is a weird platform, you know. It's it's, it's, it's complicated. Yeah. It is a complicated platform, and I've I've modified my approach to Twitter in the last month and a half. I would say, I've been trying to selectively retweet information. I I polled a bunch of people and asked them if they knew of credible Twitter sources that were producing. Um, valid good news and I found a bunch of sites that were doing that and then winnowed them down I really like humanprogress.org which has done a lovely job of detailing well they had a they had a great tweet the other day I really loved it was a mock-up of a New York Times cover and it said 127,000 people lifted out of abject poverty today you know in like large type and then the tweet was we could have run this every single day for the last 20 years. So we're coming, we're coming to the end. We're coming to the end of this shit now. So I'm going to try to, um, you know, make it a little more lively. Try not to be so serious. But so this one's a little funny. It starts off with him finding out he was in a battle with a bot and he had no idea. One of the smartest men I know, Jordan Peterson, debate anybody, calls on anybody, not scared to de debate anybody. Had no idea until this interview that he was debating a Twitter bot on Twitter. So goes to show you that you know pride cometh before the fall. I'm not saying he fell or anything like that, whether or not he won, but he's still humble about it. Oh God, I, I never want to say if I won or not. Just leaving out without abject defeat and being embarrassed is uh, good enough for him. So still very humble about it. And the other guy says people thought it was pretty close, but how do you beat a bot, right? But he just goes to show you, like, you know, you can be smart as fuck, but you don't know everything. There's always something you can't know out there. It doesn't matter how much you think you fucking know, how good you think you're at things. You might be fucking battling a Twitter bot. <laughs> you know, this is funny. But, nonetheless, um, what came out of this was 
discussion with his son. The guy's smart enough to know to get people to watch him to make sure he doesn't cross any lines and boundaries. He does anything stupid he wants to know right away. And don't know what's barred. Tell me the truth. Okay? Free circle. Don't worry about offending me. I need your opinion. If you think I should handle something in a different way, then let me know right away so I can deal with it. Right? Kind of thing he does with his family and his friends. Truth above all else. Okay? Can't lose. Now, is there utility in telling white lies sometimes to people that don't hurt their feelings? Absolutely. Sure. Get a Christmas gift you don't like, you pretend you like it. You return it later on. Or you only wear the shirt around that person. No one's going to get hurt over that. It would be beneficial to tell the truth. Absolutely. You tell them the truth, they never get you a gift like that again. You might get a better gift next year that you actually appreciate. You know? So there's pros and cons to both. But it's up to you. Hurt feelings or not. So, but anyways... All this is to say is this one doesn't really affect your initiation or your training. But to say that your training initiation is never done. I don't care if you're at the portal grade in my Kabbalah Great Work of Self-Transformation and you've passed it, you're still learning. You're still always learning. And that's wisdom. When you're wise enough to know you're always learning, no matter the fucking cost, and even someone who's never been initiated into any system, you have a conversation with somebody random, and they will teach you something. If you know that, then that's wisdom. And Peterson knows that. And that's what he just learned. He's smarter than probably most people in the room. But that guy, instead of asking a question that he can combat, he didn't even have a chance. He just told him, I was Twitter bot? What? Yeah, so, but instead of, instead of like saying, okay, well, how do you know it's Twitter bot? You have proof of that Twitter bot? Can you show me the proof that it's Twitter bot? And all that shit. He just said, oh, that wasn't very smart. Took it on, owned it, got over it, you know? Everybody can learn something from that. But I mean, that person was able to teach him something. He went into that day not knowing that he fought a Twitter bot. And then when he left, he realized he fought a Twitter bot in one of his debates. And then he came out with his own resolution, though, as him and his son helped figure out if it's worth getting into an argument with either a real person or a bot, then it's worth writing a blog post. And he's been doing those blog posts and they've been successful. And I've read some of his things that he's written. I'm on his social media platform as well and all that. So, and they're pretty damn good. Actually, that's one of the things I like reading the most, to be honest, right now. So, anyways, that's just my little... This doesn't have anything really to do with initiation. But there's a little couple points there to just help you learn stuff, you know? That's all I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to help myself and at the same time help anybody else who wants to learn. That's it. It's like, you know, because some of you know, but perhaps some of you don't, that between the year 2000 and 2012, and this hasn't stopped yet, the number of people in abject poverty in the world fell by, by half. Right? It was the most rapid period of economic development ever in the history of the world. And there's lots of things like that happening. There's several hundred thousand people a day being hooked to the power grid, which is a big deal. For those of you, those of you who have power might also appreciate that. Um, infant mortality has been plummeting. You know, we're going to plateau in terms of population at about 9 billion, and it's going to level off and decline pretty rapidly after that. Um, people are getting access to fresh water in record numbers. Like, there's so many good things happening that it's not even funny and uh, that we that are a real cause for celebration. And so I've been trying to select, trying to tilt what I've been distributing more in that direction. And I've also put a buffer between me and my use of Twitter. So because it, it, does, it does reward an impulsivity that isn't always, um, let's say my impulsivity that isn't always in anyone's best interest. I made an agreement with my son to, because he's been watching. I'm going to be doing my due diligence 
if I wasn't going to mention how much I like here and stuff like that. Okay, I know a lot of people, and even Russell Brand's one of them, talk about, I know we can say that this is better than the world, this is better than the world, but a little tour of LA will show you that there's still there's more poverty, there's more this, there's more that. He's not wrong, he's right. But in the same sense, you can't deny the numbers. Like, you don't know how well L.A. works. Like, maybe L.A. looks worse in your lifetime than it does to another lifetime. And maybe it is a matter of, well, things are getting better in other parts of the world. No one has to take away from somewhere else. Meaning, well, if they're getting better in third countries, third world countries, well, then maybe the states is getting worse in the poor areas. Or, maybe that's... See, once again, this is one of those multivariant issues. Can't just say capitalism is the part point of poverty. People are getting richer, so people are getting poorer. It's like, no, a lot of those people are on the street because they did drugs until they lost their homes. They did this, they did that. It's multivariant problems. It's not just one problem causing it all, and you're just seeing it get worse. It's not the case. Now, it is the case that most of us would like to see none of those people on the streets, but we'd also like to see maybe all those drugs abolished. That'll never happen because people want to use those drugs. But anyways, the point I'm trying to get at here is the fact that he was able to switch up his narrative to instead of fighting Twitter bots, instead of debating fucking people at all costs for a platform like Twitter that he knows is mostly negative. He should take the initiative to only put out positive messages on a platform that he thinks is mostly negative, who promotes a impulsivity that is also negative. And it brings out that and him and most people he's spoken to. So he's only putting out positive content on there, sharing positive messages on there, which actually is a part of initiation in a matter of speaking. Like when you start doing the Freighter Xavier Kabbalah Great Work Self Transformation by Christopher, not Penzak, shit. Um, holy fuck. Great Work Self Transformation by uh, Liam Thomas Christopher. That's his name. Um, He's the one who wrote the initiation book. Frederick Xavier did that. Made his mystery school as an add-on to add to that program. Okay. And I just add on to both their add-ons. <laughs> um, but part of that is there's been many videos where he talks about putting sigils up on the wall that mean positive things. There's one woman who wrote into him saying she thinks that her daughter's doing drugs. And she got into magic and she wants to know if there's anything magical she can do. And he says, well, yeah, I would do magic to get her to stop doing drugs. Ultimately, he came up with a bunch of different ways saying, first of all, that the fact of her worrying about it, putting the emotion into that worry, constantly dwelling on it, is going to create that from happening. First thing she needs to do is stop worrying. Put positive messages around the house. Whether it's just one little word like happiness, love, prosperity, shit like that. To elaborate fucking uh, sigils and saying my daughter is free from using drugs. I will be kind of free so more to be. Make a sigil, put on the roll, let your daughter walk by it every day. See if she stays away from drugs. Okay? I thought about doing one of my kids. I felt like I shouldn't meddle with them, but in the same sense, you know? Because maybe they need to experience with stuff like that and i'm not saying they do because i'd wish there was a world where i didn't have to worry about them doing bad stuff like that but there's always that there's always that inclination in me that says who am i to meddle in other people's shit it's one thing to meddle with my own life because if i meddle with my own life and i fuck it up it's my own i start doing that to other people's lives it's something else but anyways so it's quite a stretch here but what he's saying only putting up positive messages brings positive things in here there's an input and output to everything your mind your thoughts what you say is all the same thing your input what you see what you read 
what you retweet, all that shit is going to be like your input. Now, I guess retweeting would be maybe more like an output. But if you're taking in good information, you're going to give out good information. If you're taking in bad information, you're going to give out bad information. I mean, that's pretty self-evident, right? So anyways, I just wanted to add that to this. But let's get more into some real good juicy stuff, some more important shit. Here's one. I think the next one is probably one of my favorite ones. Lots of people watching what I'm doing and trying to keep me under some degree of control, let's say. And uh, his comment was that if I was going to, if it was serious enough to engage in Twitter combat about it was serious enough to write a blog post about. And so I've kind of made this rule, which is I'm not going to comment on anything on Twitter in that sort of manner unless I feel that writing about it at some length is justifiable. And so I started doing that this week. I wrote three blog posts, and that seems to have gone pretty well. So I hope that answered your question. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Kind of go on a different topic. I have a personality psychology question. Okay. Uh, so when I did the understand myself quiz, I was very surprised to find out that I was on the bottom two percentile for conscientiousness, which I thought Are you was high in openness. Yes. You're an entrepreneurial type. Okay. You're going to need to partner with someone who's disciplined. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, but that, that's that, that, that's exactly. See, there seems to be a real tension between openness and and especially orderliness. Alright, so this one's not my favorite one I was talking about, but um, I'm not going to say much about this one. I'm going to just let it play let you hear what the girl has to say. But this is the intellectual, psycho psychological, no, psychological, because astrology can be psychological. There's a psychological astrology, there's physical astrology, um, where astrology is literally about your body, about your life, about your psyche, about all that. But let's say for people who don't believe in psychology, or believe in astrology, um, Peterson, by knowing, okay, so she took a test, right? She said the answer of her test. The minute she said that, what did he say? Okay, this is you, this is that. That reminded me of astrology right there. Like, it's like, boom, as soon as you see the person's chart, where's the sun sign, where's the sign? As soon as he knew that information, he was able to fucking tell her exactly how she was going to need to do, what she's going to need to be like, who she's going to need to be with, blah, 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 blah. blah. So I anyway, open that in a second. You know, because open people... Well, they think laterally and they blow boxes apart and they tend to make a mess when they're transforming things and they're all over the place. And, and they have to be because otherwise they wouldn't be open. But it's hard to do that and also be orderly and conscientious. And, so, and, and corporations suffer from this tension all the time, right? Because they're started by open people, but when they get going and get algorithmized, they're run by conscientious people. But then the conscientious people can only go down one track and if the environment transforms, the whole company disappears. So I would say, you take a look at the conscientiousness score. You see if you can figure out how to discipline yourself a bit more and see if you can figure out how to schedule your time. Not like a prison, but like a, like a structured set of opportunities. And then you understand that in order to be successful in life, likely in, in the medium to long run, you're going to have to find someone, could be someone close to you, or it could be business partners or whatever, that fill in that missing conscientiousness gap. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, I guess the part B was uh, my boyfriend, we've been together for a very long time and we're not that old, uh, is also very high in neuroticism and I feel that's where like our conflict comes and as far as long term, what are some things that, you know, lowly conscientious and highly Sediments. neurotic. Sediments. <laughs> <laughs> 
we'll look into that. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, the simple, I can only, it's, it's high levels of neuroticism are problematic in a relationship. It's probably why 75% of divorces are initiated by women because women are higher in neuroticism than men. And I think the reason for that is that they have to be more sensitive to infant distress, and so that makes them more sensitive to distress in general. Now, I don't know that for sure. It's a, s a supposition. But high levels of neuroticism do tend to make a relationship volatile and, and, and to put a fair bit of negative emotion into it. Now, the question is where, what the source of the high level of neuroticism is. It might be purely temperamental, but it also might be indicative of an underlying anxiety disorder or depression or, or a physiological problem because they can manifest themselves in high levels of negative emotion. And so there's always the possibility of doing something about that. What I usually tell my clients who are high in neuroticism is two simple things. Number one, get up at the same time in the morning. Okay, because that helps stabilize your circadian rhythms. Number two, eat a large meal before you stress yourself in the morning, and mostly protein and fat-based. Because if you're high in neuroticism and you stress yourself before you eat, you, you dysregulate your, your emotional reaction systems, essentially. And you can't re-regulate them until you sleep again. So other than that, goodwill and understanding is about what you've got. How are you doing tonight, Dr. Peterson? Not too Incredibly bad. Pretty good question so good. far. A little, the, a little on the brutal side, I might say. But I'm incredibly nervous to uh, talk in front of you because you've got to be one of the most formidable people that I've ever heard of or ever listened to or ever seen. So my question is, again, you're one of the best communicators that I've ever listened to. If I could be half as good at you or at communicating as you are, I would be set. How can I teach myself to do that? Practice. You know, really, like, well, there's a couple of things. Is it helps to read a lot. It really helps to write. So if you want to make yourself articulate, which is a very good idea, then not only should you read, but you should write down what you think. And if you can do that a little bit every day, 15 minutes, maybe you could steal 15 minutes and do it every day. But if you do that for 10 years, you really straighten out your thinking. If you're going to speak effectively, you have to know way more than you're talking about. You know, so if you, this is often difficult for beginning lectures at university because they'll do a lecture on a topic, but they only know as much as they're saying in the lecture. And they get kind of stuck to their notes because of it. But you want to know 10 times as much as you are saying in the lecture, and then you can specify a stepping path through it and elaborate with the other things that you know. But to do that, you have to do a lot of reading, but you also have to do a lot of reading because that's where the, synthesize, that's where the synthesizing comes. So that's on the input side. And then on the output side, well, there's some tricks, techniques, let's say. Is like if you're speaking in front of a group, you are not delivering a talk to a group. That's not what you're doing. The talk isn't a packaged thing that you present to a group. There isn't a group. There's a bunch of individuals, and you talk to them. So when I talk to a group, I always talk to people one at a time. And that makes it easier, too, because you know how to talk to a person. It's like, can you talk to a 1,000 people? Well, probably not, because it's too intimidating. But there isn't a 1,000 people there. There's 
thousand individuals. And so you just look at an individual and you say something and you can tell if they're engaged, they look confused or they look interested or they look angry or they look bored or maybe they're asleep, in which case you look at someone else. <laughs> and they, they give you feedback about how you're doing. And so one thing is to, to have something to say, yeah, but the next thing is pay attention to who you're talking to. Because unless you're very badly socialized, and that seems unlikely in your case because, you know, you present yourself at least moderately well, you know, and well, I mean, I don't know you very well, but on first, but on first sight, you know, you're, you're doing fine. So the probability that if you pay attention to the individuals that you're talking to, that your natural wealth of, of social skill will manifest itself is extremely high. And so you don't deliver a talk to an audience. That's a really bad way of thinking about it. You're actually engaged in a conversation with an audience, even if they're not talking, they're nodding and shifting position and, you know, looking like this or, and you can, you can pull all that in and, and, and use it to govern the level at which you're addressing the entire audience. So the last thing I would say is, well, having the aim to be a good communicator is a good start. And you think, well, I could buttress that to some degree. Well, there isn't anything that you can possibly, this is the whole point of a liberal education, there isn't anything that you can possibly do that makes you more competent in everything you do than to learn how to communicate. I don't care if you're going to be a carpenter. I mean, being a carpenter, by the way, is very difficult, especially if you're a good carpenter. But if you're good at communicating as a carpenter, you're like 10 times better as a carpenter. So, the and this is something that the liberal arts colleges, I think, have I don't know if they've forgotten it, but they don't do a very good job of marketing. It's like, well, what's the use of a bachelor's degree, a bachelor of arts? It's like, well, you can think, you can write, you can speak, you've read something. It's like, the economic value of that is incalculable. The people that I've watched in my life who've been spectacularly successful are, they have skills. Clearly, that, that's a minimum precondition but they're also very, very good at articulating themselves. And so whenever they negotiate, they're successful. Well, that's kind of like the definition of success in life, right? You negotiate and you're successful. It doesn't mean you win, because if you're a good negotiator, if you're a really good negotiator, everybody walks away from the negotiation thrilled. And so then people line up to do things with you. So, and that's all, that's all dependent on your ability to communicate. So practice. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks. Sorry, I have to just stop. There's a, there's a section of the book in here that I just want to talk about here. Um, <laughs> the confident young yeah. man. Um, what's rule 11 of this book here? Don't bother children when you're skateboarding. Well, the small bone to pick with Lafayette College is that my brother does get stopped skateboarding here. But um, that's not the surmise of my question today. Um, really, I have two key questions. Uh, you said in one lecture that Alexander Solzhenitsyn basically memorized all of the literary work to bring it out and to show the world. Um, but I've had professors assert to me, and ones that are very, you know, studied on Slavic uh, culture and studied on the Gulag, tell me essentially um, that he was a KGB agent. I mean, would you agree with that statement? That the only way that he would have been able to get all that stuff out of there, live in there for 20 years and not die or, you know, starve to death, was from that. 
What do you think? I don't really have anything to say about that. I mean, no. anything's possible, but probably not that. Probably not that. No. All right. And so then, KGB agent, like, I don't yeah. know why anyone would tell you that. Like, what's their evidence for that? It's impossible for him to document that. Not to document. So he must have been a KGB agent. It's to like, memorize all that and bring out a prison. Yeah, yeah. You, you know. Yeah. I mean, you, was, was he writing in prison? In Gula, he really couldn't. He couldn't How would he store that? anything. Yeah. You'd be amazed at what people can remember when they have to remember. Yeah. Yeah. So people remember very large volumes of material when they're when that's what they have. Like, like pre-literate people, you know, all they did was remember. I have a friend who's not literate, and what he can re I have two friends that aren't really very literate, but one of them is really not literate, and what he can remember, you just can't believe. Our modern people don't remember much because we don't have to. We write it down and externalize it, but our capacity for memory is, is far greater than we realize. Yeah. The shake from uh, when the Greeks you know, switched from an oral culture to a literary culture was very fascinating. But my second question before I go sit back down was, um, how do you feel about the influence of, uh, and I, you know, with reading Terence McKenna and things along these lines, mm -hmm. the influence of psychedelics within our culture? And how that and what that does to the human psyche. I know that the guy who... God only knows. <laughs> I, don't think knows. We own, I don't think we understand. We don't understand psychedelics one bit. So, and I don't think we understand the force, the, the, what did you play, the role that they've played in our religious and cognitive evolution. So, we don't understand them. They're an absolute mystery. So, uh, play with them at your peril. Carl Young and the guy who went and asked lived in the same town, I believe, in Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Swiss, a pretty strange place for that to emerge from, but, yeah. For future reference, the chair isn't for random audience members this <laughs> In a lot of your talks, you speak about the things that the West did correct, and I'm curious, yourself being a psychologist, what your thoughts are on Edward Bernays and the impact that he had society, the, um, the guiding of masses or controlling them and being able to take control <coughs> in that way. I don't know enough about him, I'm afraid, to give you an intelligent answer. So do you have, a, do you have another question? Because that's rather disappointing, I imagine. Uh, sure. Um, my other question would be that, uh, to my understanding, that work control and people's control is instrumental in the idea of socialism. And if these countries that we call socialist and communist are totalitarian states ruled by a single party or a single man, why do we continue referring to them as such? As, as referring them to as? As socialists, as when they don't follow the, the main heart of it, which is worker, worker control. It's a good question. I don't, I don't really know the answer to that. It looks like, who knows, right? Maybe, maybe, the, maybe the inevitable end product of a collectivist viewpoint is something like a totalitarian state. It seems probable because most human governments have been essentially totalitarian states of one degree of severity or another. So the tribal tendency might manifest itself in a rigid hierarchy, but it is a, it is a perverse fact, right? And you'd think that it's one of the mysteries about the continual apologetics for the radical left. It's like, well, didn't China just announce that its president is now president for life? It's like, that's actually a big problem. 
well, and, and, and despite the fact that they've moved quite a distance in the free market direction, obviously that underlying totalitarian impulse is still alive and, and well and thriving. I mean, and what the Chinese are doing with electronic surveillance should make everyone's hair stand on end. So, yeah. Thank you. Hi, Dr. Peterson. Okay. It's a Are you out of mic range? Uh, it's a pleasure to ask you a question. I wrote it down to okay. minimize uh, inarticulability. Okay, so you, you put a great emphasis on truth in your work. Uh, so this is you writing in 12 Rules for Life. And above all, don't lie. Don't lie about anything ever. Lying leads to hell. It was the great and the small lies of the Nazi and communist states that produced the deaths of tens of millions of people. Uh, you've also talked about how Nietzsche foresaw the nihilism implicit in European culture in the 1800s uh, that would likely lead to the authoritarianism and death tolls mentioned at the end of the previous quote. Uh, and I find this interesting for the following reason. Uh, so here's Nietzsche in The Will to Power. Radical nihilism is the conviction of an absolute untenability of existence when it comes to the highest values one recognizes. This realization is a consequence of the cultivation of truthfulness. So in other words, uh, Nietzsche saw the, uh, that valuing truth to its fullest undercuts valuation itself. Yeah, uh, he meant that specifically within the Christian context, by the way. Okay. I mean, one of the things that, that Nietzsche, in his role as Christian critic, pointed out was that the death of God was a consequence in his formulation of the Christian insistence on truth. So his, his idea was essentially that as Christianity elevated the truth to the position of highest moral virtue, and then that truth-seeking spirit developed a scientific and rational viewpoint, that the logical consequence of that was the turning of the spirit of truth on the metaphysical presumptions of Christianity itself. Right. So that's the context for that. Right. So what I wanted to ask you uh, is that you appear to care deeply about meaning and the uh, philosophical problem of nihilism. So I was just wondering if you could elaborate on this tension between uh, nihilism and valuing truth in light of what you're saying uh, and uh, whether there's a way in which you see your ideas uh, as elaborated in, in your latest well, book I, I, as a solution great, to the problem question. of nihilism um, or how they fit into the broader Yeah, it's scheme. a great question. Um, I think, I think really that <coughs> Jung's work is the answer to that question. Because Jung was profoundly influenced by Freud, obviously. And if you read the Freudian biographers, let's say, it's easy to conceptualize Jung as a, an acolyte of Freud. But it's not really accurate, I wouldn't say, or it's insufficiently accurate, because Freud had a great influence on Jung. But Jung was also exceptionally influenced by Nietzsche. And Jung, I think, you can also view Piaget in this manner, by the way, although not directly as a consequence of the influence of Nietzsche. It'd be more indirect. But Jung really regarded what he was doing as an answer to Nietzsche's question. And the question is something like, well, 
the inquir inquiring Western rational mind has murdered our, the metaphysical presuppositions of Western society. Now what? Now Nietzsche's idea was, well, we would have to invent our own values. We would have to become a new type of being. But Jung's response to that, especially after World War II, was, and after encountering Freud, was something like, well, what makes you think we can invent our own values? So Jung's idea was to rediscover the values of the past, to go within, that was his hero's journey, to go within in the landscape of the imagination and to rekindle the archetypes. That isn't necessarily something that has to be done as an internal voyage. But that made, it, that made the process something that was more akin to an archetypal transformation. So if it's the father that's dead, then you go into the belly of the beast to revitalize the father. That's the pathway forward. And that's been the pathway forward for human beings for, for as long back as we know, for tens of thousands of years. Yeah, well, Mircea, I think I'm saying that right. Some Romanian wrote me the other day and tried to teach me how to say it. Mircea, I think that's right, Eliada, talked about the, the death of God as a recurring phenomenon. I mean, that's what he, that's what he realized when he did his large-scale surveys of religious belief systems is that God dies very frequently. And then that's part, of a, that's part of what you might describe as a developmental process. It's very much akin to what happens to you when your dreams die. You know, you put forward a, a hypothesis about a mode of being that you would like to embody. You have a dream, a vision, a, an ambition, maybe a love affair or something like that, and it collapses on you. Well, there's a p period of death that follows that. You could call it psychological death. But then there's a reconstruction of the value system and a rebirth, and that's... That's the eternal human story. It really is the now Jung's contribution to Nietzsche's body of thought, and and this is where I think also Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky surpassed Nietzsche was that Jung realized that we didn't invent our own values. We rediscovered those values that we always harbored within us. Now that doesn't mean they that that they still have to be given new form though. You see this in an old story of the Egyptian. There's an old story of Horus and Osiris and. Horus goes to rescue his father, Osiris, who's basically living like a, a dead ghost in the underworld. He goes to rescue him after defeating his evil uncle. He goes to rescue his dead father. And when he goes down into the underworld, he, he has an eye in his hand that, that Seth, the evil one, tore from his head during their combat. And instead of putting the eye back in his head, he gives it to his father. And then his father can see again, and then they both go back up to the surface of the world, and it's their union that constitutes the spirit of the pharaoh. It's an absolutely unbelievably remarkable story because the idea is, well, you will be damaged in your confrontation with life, particularly if you confront malevolence because the confrontation with malevolence damages people. It will damage your vision. But if you, if you take that damaged part of you and you reunite it with the dead spirit of your father, then you can revitalize that, that will strengthen you and that will enable you to move forward into the future. It's like, that's just exactly right. And it's one of the deepest religious presuppositions of humanity. You see it everywhere, that idea. That's what you're doing in university if you take a liberal arts course, degree. It's like you're, you're, you're resurrecting your dead ancestors so they can live again in your form. But 
in conjoined union with you. You're the vision that gives the dead past its, its vitality and spirit. And that's the purpose of being educated. That's, a, that's your initiation. And, and partly what you do when you're initiated properly in that regard is you develop a comprehensive philosophy of good and evil, a deep philosophy of good and evil, evil and that protects you against the confrontation with malevolence. And I know that, you know, I know that not least because one of the things that's happened to me as a consequence of putting all these lectures online is that I've had many military people write me and come and talk to me who had post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's almost always a consequence often of them viewing themselves do something dreadful, but sometimes viewing that occurring as a consequence of other people's actions. Until they have a philosophy of good and evil, they can't recover from their post-traumatic stress disorder. And like you, you, if you're naive, metaphysically naive, and you come in contact with someone who truly wants to hurt you, the probability that that will undo you psychologically is very, very high. So you have to be wise as serpents. That's the old saying. You have to be wise as a serpent because otherwise you have no protection against serpents. Maybe we'll do two more because I'm starting to get fuzzy-minded and I've learned to quit at that point, mostly. So we talked a bit before, or yeah, before you started don't know exactly how to phrase this, and I think that this will be, like, I do want to like acknowledge that all of this Q&A has been amazing because it's basically been a lecture mixed with reality, and that's although, a good combination. Yeah, it's a good combination. Mm -hmm. We've all learned something from this, and I don't think many speakers I go to actually know how to combine that the way you did. So thank you for that. But uh, I guess this question is a bit of a departure from that, and it's sort of going to something more of a. Something I don't think everyone can relate to because it's in your book you say don't lie. And I think that after living twenty one short years, I learned that the hard way. But you and your life and me and my life, I feel like we both have a moment where we've had to confront a self alienating instance of nature where there is no path forward that we really have at our disposal. And there was a point where an unnatural amount of growth had to come out of us. So I just wanted to know where you drew that line at your own ability to develop as a person to where you didn't become tunnel visioned with trying to face life's problems on your own. Or okay, well, we had talked just before this, the second part of this Q&A about my daughter's illness and about this gentleman's had illness in his family too. So that's kind of the background to this. Well, the first part of that is like, if we were going to be pessimistically realistic about all this, I would say that your best bet is truth. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's always going to do the trick. Right? I mean, sometimes you go fight a dragon and it eats you. And if, the, if you being eaten wasn't a real possibility, it wouldn't be a real fight. And so you see people, like I've seen people in my clinical practice sometimes, I had one client in particular who was undergoing a particularly vicious divorce with someone who was really seriously inclined to take him out and would do pretty much everything at her disposal to do so. And I strategized with him for about three years. And we did everything, like, and hyper-carefully. He was a very conscientious and diligent person. And he, 
put into practice everything that we discussed and strategized, and he still pretty much, he got backed into a corner so hard that I didn't know how to help him anymore. So I would say, however, that he, like, he was a very truthful person throughout that, and one thing he did do was, part of it was a custody battle, and he did manage, despite his decline, in consequence of being repeatedly cornered, I would say, he did manage to establish what I think was a lasting relationship with his kids. So he might have got enough out of what he did to justify it, even though the whole landscape was pretty awful. I think that not lying is your best bet, but life is hard and people get run over. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to emerge in any obvious sense triumphant. But if you take the alternative path, path, especially when you're facing severe tribulations, let's say, and you complicate those with deceit, you can be sure that whatever tragedy that you're confronting is going to turn into not only tragedy, but something very much akin to hell. And so you might be able to at least minimize the degree of suffering, even if you can't overcome it or transcend it. And that's something, you know. It's something. I, I'm always reminded in a discussion like this of what I watched when my, my, my wife's family were around the deathbed of her mother. She had pr frontotemporal dementia, which is like Alzheimer's, and quite an awful way to go. And uh, her husband, my father-in-law, really stepped up to the plate. Like He was quite the man about town, very extroverted partier type and quite disagreeable, but when his wife got sick, man, he was there. It was something to watch. And so he turned what could have been absolutely dreadful into just miserable. And then when their entire family was gathered around her deathbed, like my wife and her sister um, had both dealt with dying people before, and the other sister was a pharmacist, and they were attentive to their mother, and there was no foolish catastrophes going on between the family, and they all pulled together. And so their mother died, but what I observed was that their bonds were strengthened as a consequence, and that they gained something from the tightening of the remaining relationships that was at least partial compensation for the loss of their mother. And that beat the hell out of squabbling about everything while she was dying, because that's a real possibility, and people certainly do that. So. One more, and maybe we'll call it a night. So, Dr. Peterson, uh, the one thing that has been kind of going through my mind in this discussion in general and when I've watched your videos, um, personally, one of the most interesting aspects of neuroscience to me is neuroplasticity and the brain's capacity to change the adaptive. But I think that a thematic issue in your talks and you know in your arguments is that people both on the left and on the right can be you know possessed by ideologies by viewpoints that hold them to be stagnant and not to change their opinions and their viewpoints. Um, and they don't really understand them maybe to the level that they should, um, but they clutch them, right? And so my opinion is that that indicates a little bit of a paradox because you know, we are wired, we are hardwired essentially to become adept to change. We're able to um, change ourselves to respond to the stimuli in our environment and 
our brain itself changes, not just our behavior, but the actual the behavior is a derivation of what's actually changing. So your argument is that a lot of people will become, you know, attached to this and they'll stay stagnant. So how do you explain, you know, what aspects of cultural phenomena or, you know, just social discourse, what is so powerful about that that it overcomes our predisposed condition to be able to change? Well, changes, changes, especially if it's the more radical the necessary change, the more pain that accompanies it, like the more opportunity as well. But and a lot of what we learn, we learn painfully. And so it's not surprising that people shrink away from learning. We learn in pain and anxiety very frequently. Everyone knows that. It's like the things that really that you really learned in life. It's like there was no joy, man. Like it took you out. And so the fact that people flee from that is hardly surprising. But it doesn't help, that's the thing. It just stores up the catastrophe for later. And so the better the better idea is to eat a little poison every day so that you don't have to overdose in a month. It's something like that. And it is the case that I think because you don't you aren't forced to first of all, you don't learn unless you're forced to learn. I know there's alternatives to that. There's the voluntary search for knowledge. And and that's a fine thing and that is an antidote to this. But Apart from that, speaking more practically, you tend not to learn unless you're forced to learn. And, it's, and what you tend to learn by force are difficult lessons. And so people are very prone to not, to not seek that out. It's not surprising. But it's because they don't understand the consequences very well. You know, you... you it's because maybe it's because they're convinced that there's some way of forestalling the necessary learning and there isn't any way of forestalling it all you do is make it worse in the future you make yourself smaller and you make the lesson harder and so that's why in so many religious doctrines there's emphasis on humility you know and humility isn't to debase yourself it's to understand that you don't know enough so that your life isn't going to be miserable and so every chance you get to grab something new that will help you along your way, you should take it as fast as you can. But you have to have a very tragic, I would say, view of reality, and also a harsh one, because it's not just tragedy, it's also malevolence. You have to understand that those are waiting for you, and that makes you desperate enough to learn. And that might be make you desperate enough to fall out of your ideology. But... That's, that's a hard way of looking at the world. It beats living through it, though. It was very nice talking to all of you. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Um, there's already an intro to this video, so I'll keep this short and fucking sweet. But I made this video a while ago, and I've been trying to fucking finish it. And trying to, trying to do that.